it's uh, awesome to have you guys here. I got to meet uh, some new friends earlier, and I know there's so many uh, others of you that are here for the first time, and I uh, want to repeat what Brandon just said. Uh, it's great to have you here. Our prayer is that you not just feel welcomed and loved, but encouraged by God's word tonight. Uh, that's certainly our hope. So I want to ask you what's going on in this picture. Uh, check this out. What's happening in this picture, okay? One brother's holding a kickball. Any guesses here? What's going on here? What's that? You got any guesses? Come on. Picking teams, right? Now, this, this brings back some horrific memories. For some of you, right. I mean, and like, I, I it kind of depends on like what's being picked, right? Let's be honest. So right now, if, if we had two captains come up here, like Lauren Cartmel, maybe a covenant member here at Matthias and another person, and they were picking gymnastics teams, you know, and it's me and Don Brown and, you know, Jeffrey and a couple, like, and like I'm going to be last, like 100%. I, like, I can't even bend over and touch my toes. I have no flexibility. Um, so, like, but you guys remember that, right? Like, you're, you're playing kickball or, or baseball, and the, the two captains are starting to choose, and you're, like, trying to, like, put yourself and, you know, you're, like, stepping in front of people, or you're giving the, <coughs> you know, what's up, bro? Because for sure, for sure, you don't want to be the last person. And I don't mean to bring up bad memories because some of you maybe were there before. Uh, so it depends on what you're choosing teams for. Uh, so, like, for instance, if, if someone was here uh, choosing football teams, um, it not only depends on what you're choosing for, but who's there. So if it was, like, me, Don Brown, Jeffrey, again, the three of us, Good chance, like I would hope someone would say, hey, you know what, maybe we should, like Mark played college football, maybe he would be a good guy to pick. But if it was like me and Dan Marino and John Elway, even though they're old and decrepit, like good chance I'm still going less in that crowd, you know what I'm saying? Like, so picking teams and the, the choosing of people, generally you, it like makes sense. If you were ever a captain, okay, on the playground and you were picking your basketball team, you weren't going to pick the people that could not shoot or could not dribble. You're like looking at the people, yep, like I, I don't even know you, but you just look like a basketball player, and man, I, you know, like you're, you, you at least will pass it to me so I can shoot all the more. Like you had reasons for doing it, right? That exact fact is why so many people struggled with the kingdom of Jesus. He's like strolling by a lake, and he looks out at some fishermen. And you guys know, like, I don't like to fish, okay? Like, I'm not diminishing fishermen in this room, but kind of, okay? Like, it's, to me, it's just a weird sport, you know. And in the culture, it was certainly a trade, but, but it was seen as, as a lesser trade. There were certainly some that were more significant. And listen, the king of the universe walks by a ragtag crew of fishermen, and he looks out at them through the, the lens of the sovereign king of the universe. And he says, uh, hey boys, uh, how's it going out there? Man, we're like, we haven't caught anything all night, right? And he's like, hey, why don't you go ahead and, why don't you go ahead and put back out and put the net on the other side, right? And then after this, this strange exchange, he calls these, these fishermen to come and follow him. 
And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, get this, they're watching this person walk around, heal people. They're watching this person walk around, teach with authority. They're watching this person walk around, make claims that he's the son of God. And who is behind him? The same dude that they saw selling fish in the market. And somehow Jesus is associating with these kinds of people and he's, he's like eating with them and meandering with them and having conversations with them. It does not make common sense. Which is why, as we saw last week, man's wisdom and God's wisdom, they just don't quite align. Are you ready to take the next step tonight? Okay. We're studying 1 Corinthians. My heart uh, and the guys, my heart's heavy tonight. Heavy. Uh, in my own conviction and what God's stirring in my own life and just already seeing in anticipation of what the Lord can do tonight and showing us his strategy and his intention because it breaks the wisdom of man in half. So open your Bibles, if you can, to 1 Corinthians. If you're just joining us, it's important for you to know that, um, that this is written to the church in Corinth. It's a very important city in, um, in ancient times because it held two ports. And because it held two ports, it, it gathered a, a certain suspect kind of people. Uh, it was a major a trade route. Uh, it held with it a tremendous economics. And so because of that, Paul uh, not just plants a church there, but spends a tremendous amount of time writing there because uh, the Corinthian church has responded poorly after Paul has left. So let's pick up here in verse 26 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful not many were of noble birth. And if you just did a scan of your row, like, I think this would hold true. And I don't mean for this to be like a diminishing fact, right? You're like looking down your row, you're like, yeah, that's us, you know? Like, by the worldly standards, not, not too wise, maybe. Um, by the worldly standards, not the most powerful. We don't have Prince, what's the dude's name from England? Uh, Prince Edward. What's his name? King George, whatever, like Harry, okay, Prince, Princess Harry. We don't have him in here, okay, so you guys didn't come, right? There, there's few people in your row that were born of noble birth. So, so listen, what is Paul saying? He's like, remember who you were when salvation came knocking, Remember your situation in life. Remember your battles. Remember what you were struggling with. That's what he means in calling. Like remember the, the status and the situation of your life when the Lord said, hey, listen, come and follow me. What Paul is saying is not many were these categories. He's not saying none because there are certainly some kings and certainly some rulers and certainly some wise people according to the world and certainly some of noble birth that, that have come to the Lord Jesus, but he's saying not many of them. Well, why is that? Because our king has a different strategy in mind. Speaking of king, think about this. How many kings have you seen 
Like, and maybe you've seen some movies, right, that portrays a king in a kingdom. How many kings have you seen say, all right, bring me everybody in the kingdom, right? And they're all lined up there. And he's looking for warriors. He's looking for consultants. I mean, he's looking for the, the, the creme de la creme, okay? And so the king starts looking at all these people. How many movies have ever portrayed him choosing the least likely warrior? I mean, the, the dude generally is picking out the guys who's got, you know, pecs and biceps way bigger than mine. He, he's normally picking the wise men that always have long beards and are really old, right? Like, that's just the pattern. When, when a king is desirous to make his kingdom stronger, he's going to choose the people that seem to make the most sense. Now, do, do those decisions burn the king sometimes? Most certainly so then what in the world is the king of the universe doing? Well, Paul says here in verse 26, let's just read it one more time. Not many were, of wise, uh, were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. What is this king doing? I think he's establishing a different kind of kingdom. Here's what he told the disciples in Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I think they were wanting themselves to be named. Oh, and you are Peter, right? You're a stallion. Instead, what does he say? And calling to him a child, this had to break the pattern of what they thought. He put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he adds, he doesn't end, he adds, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Again, like this is seen on Sunday school felt boards. Like this is seen in children's curriculum. But do you get the gravity of what the king of the universe is saying? It's humility I'm, bring, I'm building my kingdom on. It's on those who don't seem to make sense. I mean, a child, unless you come to me innocent, craving, longing, blinded by everything else, tunnel vision like a kid, unless you come to me like that, you have no inheritance in my kingdom, he says. He's establishing a new kind of kingdom, and it's one that you and I struggle with. Why? Because everything in our world seems to make sense, right? Like, who's an Abercrombie model? Not me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? Right? If Abercrombie came in the room, like, I'm way down the list, you know? Who, who are they going to pick? They're, they're going to pick someone that, that seems to fit the cultural standards and seems to make sense. If someone came in here and they were looking for a mathematician to figure out some, you know, gigantic math problem, okay, there's a good chance they're not going to go over to the ML Kids side, you know? And in particular, my boys, right? They're not going to, where are the Sigma boys at? We, we have a math catastrophe. They're not doing it. Okay. They're going to say, hey, who's got a degree in math? Hey, who's really smart in math? Hey, who, who passed calculus like in the seventh grade? That's who they're going to look for. So what is our king doing? He's establishing a different kind of kingdom, but why? Here's what he continues to go on into verse 27. Oh, my goodness. But God shows what is what? What's the first thing? Foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. First of all, let me uh, attack the elephant in the room. Uh, Anytime you see in Scripture, God chose, it starts to, you know, people like start to get all Twitter-pated. It starts to create some tension in you, and I, I just, we in this body of Christ feel called to preach God's word and not divide God's people. Are we together? We're called to preach God's word and not divide God's people. So there's a reason when we come to passages like this that I don't bring up terminology that man uses to put labels on passages like this. Are we together? Instead, what I long to do is teach God's word. Is that okay? Can I do that? So then if we're teaching God's word, let me tell you what the Greek word choose means. It means to pick. To pick. I can't make it say anything else. It shows God's intentionality. It says God is building a different kind of kingdom. And what kind of kingdom is he building? He's choosing the foolish things in the world. He's choosing the weak things in the world. He's choosing the things low and despised in the world. He says even things that are not. Why would he do this? You should know your evidence. You should know, like you're already testifying. Did your salvation make sense? Like, did you all of a sudden show up to the Lord and he was like, and you're like, Lord, let me just go ahead and make a strong argument. Right. For why I should be in your kingdom. Lord, first of all, I'm 6'2". You know you need at least some, uh, some above average height up in there. Right. And then you just start to build your resume. Lord, last week I served this many homeless people. Lord, last week I did this. And Lord, last week I did that. The problem is Ephesians 2 says that by the grace of God we've been saved. Why? So no man may boast. He says it's not your own doing, Paul, in Ephesians 2. So then what is he doing? Why is he choosing this kind, these kinds of people? Well, I just, I want to give you one example because there's many. Again, we could just like pass the mic around here. Let me show you one in the scripture. Is that cool? This is crazy. Check this out. Luke 7. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. (laughs) Don't you think, come on. I mean, you have to give, don't you think there were times where Jesus was just cracking up in his heart? You know? (laughs) Because he knows what's coming, right? Amen, right? Like, he knows what's coming. He knows what's coming. And one of the Pharisees is like, hey, you want to come eat with us? He was like, sure, no problem. I'd love to do that, right? One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, which I love the posture. You know, savior of the universe, and this is how folks ate it today. Okay, verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a, what's the word? A sinner. A lot of different kinds of interpretations of what this meant, who she was in the city, her reputation. Instead of going through all those things, I would just like to insert your name into the story. Uh, Jesus says in another place in scripture, like, I haven't come for the healthy. They don't need a doctor. I've come for the sick. Well, I am thankful that I, for one, can insert me into the story. 
Okay, he finds himself near a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. This isn't cheap stuff. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Do you think she got a clue who this is? Like what in the world would cause a woman with this kind of reputation to fall on her feet or fall on her face in the most humiliating way, crying on dirty feet, washing those feet with hair, pouring everything she's got on them. Well, here's what happened. Check this out. Here's what the Pharisees say. Now, one of the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, and he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what, uh, who and what sort of woman this is, this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. We are a room full of people who the Pharisees would have had a problem with. This is your testimony. The Pharisees would have walked in on your story and said, who, why in the world is Jesus hanging out with that dude? Why in the world is Jesus extending love and grace to that woman? We are a room full of people who this story is about. And what does Jesus say to her later in the story? And he said to the woman, your faith is saved, you go in peace. In all the years of turmoil and hatred in her heart towards herself and shame and regret on the feet of a savior her tears, and he says, go in peace. Is that your story? So I've been processing what are the implications then of God and his kingdom in this way? What are the implications for us if he's choosing the weak and if he's choosing those who struggle? Like, what does this mean for us? How can we learn from this? If this is God's character, then then what does that mean? Number one, how about this? Uh, No one is to be counted out ever. And listen, come on, let's be honest. You've counted some people out. In fact, you've hoped that they were counted out. Come on now, just be honest. There have been some people in your life and in your existence, you prayed, Lord, please don't save them, you know. God, really what they deserve is eternal damnation. God, I know you answer prayer, Lord, hear this prayer. Now, maybe you didn't pray it, but that's what you were feeling in your heart. There's some coworkers, listen, there's some coworkers right now you've counted out. There's some family members you've said, no way. And what are you doing? You're forgetting your story. You somehow said that you were the one that deserved it. All of those feelings in your heart towards those people. Now you and I have become a Pharisee. We become the people saying, Jesus, what are you doing with that person? Come on now. Lord, open your eyes. Remember Jonah? I'm not going over there, God. You don't know those people. Just just take them out, God. He was struggling with the same thing that you and I do. We've counted these people out. But if God, in his grace and mercy, extended love to you, then please... For the love of a good God, and therefore a kingdom that represents that, we can never count anyone out because it's that precise moment that he saved you. We're just getting started. Number two, check this out. Oh my goodness. No one. The judgment seat belongs to the judge. 
of which you and I are not. There is one who sits on the judgment seat. It's the one who made everything. It's the one who, through him, things are reconciled. It's the one who's coming back. He is the rightful judge, which frees us the opportunity to never judge. Then no one is to be judged. Then no one is ever to be seen through the slant eye. Instead, everyone is to be seen with a different kind of lens, through a different kind of heart. What if we could really be freed in that way? Listen, what if your day was freed from judgment? What would change? Like what if every single person you saw, it was through the lens of someone that was desperately in need of God's grace and maybe they've already received it and maybe they haven't, but either way, you saw them like you long to have folks see you. Someone who needs forgiveness. Someone who needs love. Someone who needs to be welcomed in. Can you even imagine a day like that? But instead, what happens? We find ourselves desiring to play the God that we say that we serve. The implications of a God who chooses the weak is that we're freed to let him be the saving grace. Number three. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so uh, here's what you need to do. You need to do this and then do that. And then if you do this and wear that, then Jesus might love you. And you're like, but Mark, man, I'm so glad we don't do that in here. Yeah, we need to be careful. The same religious uh, structures that we have often preached against and even tried to embody things against. Saying consistently, look, there's no rules and regulations That should distance you from the Lord Jesus. It's through Christ's perfect fulfillment of the law that we have relationship with God. Even though we embody those things and teach those things and share those things and I pray believe those things. Well, look at the couple who is a non-believer and who are living together. Come on now. And will try to fix behavior instead of share the truth of the gospel. Hey, you guys need to do this. You guys need to figure that out over there. And then if you do that, then guess what? Then maybe we'll love you. No, no, no. Lord Jesus, do a work in their hearts. Lord Jesus, free their hearts. Lord God, just loosen the the bondage that they're experiencing, God, that they could see the freedom of who you are. Listen, one of the first times I ever got to walk alongside a couple who was battling through this, like I got got in that opportunity to share the gospel, watch them respond to the gospel, and then watch the Spirit do the work. Watch the Spirit, like, ask them to wrestle with tough questions. Watch the Spirit say things like, look, if you can tell your 13, 16, 17-year-old daughter that what you're doing is something that you would like for them, then okay, and watch the Spirit implicate sexual sin. Listen, it's a beautiful thing when the Lord does that work. Instead, what's happened is that same couple has walked into context and they've instantly been shunned. That will not happen here. It cannot happen here. Are you guys with me? It cannot happen. 
And you name the struggle, you name the battle, you name the, the story, the situation. If we in this body are trying to fix people's behavior apart from heart change in Christ, we have added barriers to the gospel that are not biblical. The gospel is about freedom and hope and love and grace. And that's the message I want and desire all of us to share. And so the implications of a God who does those things is he changes hearts and then he cleans us up. We don't clean up and then come to him. And finally, and maybe more uh, most significantly, we must be diligent in praying for those who seem to be far from Christ. Come on. You find your heart praying for those diligently, like the persistent widow, for those that in your mind you've written off that seem so far. There's no way, there's no way they could ever turn it around. I mean, they are by far too far gone. They've hit absolutely like rock bottom. They're beyond rock bottom. They're like in the magma bottom, you know, like they're just, they're just gone. And instead, we find our prayer, we find our heart, we find the cries of the depths of our soul pleading for these people to come to the same saving grace that you have. What I'm saying is, my friends, we've forgotten that we were the low, that we weren't the noble birthed that we weren't the wise in the worldly standards, and yet God said, I'm gonna build my kingdom with folks who doesn't make sense. Why? You wanna see why? Check this out, verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He's done the complete opposite. Why? Because when a king chooses the greatest warrior and then that king goes out and fights the battle just like they're supposed to. And then that warrior comes back. Let's call him Lancelot. He was a warrior, right? Knight of the round table or whatever, the square table, whoever he was, right? Then what happens? The king comes back and says to Lancelot, well done. You did exactly as we all expected you to. You're a stallion, you're a brute, look at you. You you, you slayed the dragon, you killed the enemy. You did exactly what you have been seemingly made to do. And instead, God says, yeah, the, the low. Not many of the wise, not many from noble birth. Why? So that no man would boast. So that when the king and those men are standing there, guess what? Man has nothing to say. Man can't say, look God, I did, ex- I did exactly who I told you I was. Remember that argument I made for you, God? Remember how I told you I was going to serve all those people and live all this way and do all those things? Remember the argument that I made? God, look, I've delivered. No, 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 no. We are the evidence of a whole bunch of people who will have nothing to say in front of the Lord minus thank you. Minus, you've done a good thing. You've done an amazing thing. You've saved me. You've pulled me out of this. God, you have done a tremendous work. What kind of human being would have anything to boast in front of the Lord? You guys remember the playground boastings? You guys remember those? If some of you guys have been in a locker room or if you're a cheerleader, you've been to like a cheerleading competition or something. 
you're in band, you're at, you know, like band camp or whatever. You remember the, the kinds, of, like the, the childish boastings? Think about it. Like, you know, when the little seven-year-old will walk up to the seven-year-old and, oh, yeah, well, I can do this, you know. And, and, and he walks up, you know, and he's like, oh, yeah, well, my daddy's, you know, better than your daddy. Maddox, 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 for whatever reason, he's, he's a jokester. He's a lot of fun. He's hilarious. And what he's decided to do, this is my youngest, he's decided to, like, to like make some stuff up in his class because he wants to sound more impressive, okay? So first of all, he told his class that my name is John Cena, okay? <laughs> I have no idea. Seriously, John Cena, okay? Then, then he told his class, this is a true story, okay? We're good friends with this teacher. He told his class that I drive a Lamborghini. <laughs> I do not, okay? A minivan is what I rock. But there's, so, there's something inherently in my sinful son that wants to boast. Like there's something inherently in my son that like wants to betray something better. That wants, you know, his friends to look at him and say like, what up now? Your dad, John Cena. Whoa. That's pretty strong. That's a strong name. Is that Norwegian? You know? There's something in him. Man, I'm glad we lose those childish ways. You know what I'm saying? I'm glad they're gone. I'm glad boasting doesn't find its way into our heart. It's just that we're better at covering it. We lose some of the childish applications. We lose some of the, the childish presentations. But actually what starts to happen is we just get more creative in our boasting. Right? We'll, we'll boast in prayer requests. Yeah, hey, listen, if you guys could just pray for me, uh, man. So tomorrow I'm speaking at this, like, teacher's recognition thing because I just got awarded uh, best teacher in the universe. And um, could you guys just cover me in prayer in that? Like, I'm just, I'm really nervous to accept such an honorable award in front of all of my peers. There were, like, 400,000 people that were voted that, you know, we're part of the, and I'm just, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm a wreck inside. Could you pray, for, could you lay hands on me and pray for me? We're, we're laughing because we've done it. On the flip side, we are professional martyrs. In fact, I think the adult version of the childish boasting comes in martyrdom. You, you'll never believe my day, we'll say. So I was driving on the road and all of a sudden a nail hit my tire and at that precise moment the coffee cup that was sitting in my thing fell over on my lap. I can't believe it. I've had the worst day in my life and at that precise moment like you'll never believe it like rain was pouring down and I started to hydroplane you know like like and then what will someone do, what will someone do in that circle? They'll be like, "Oh, that's nothing." That's you like listen to this. My dog, cat, bunny and parrot all died yesterday. It's the craziest thing. The craziest thing. I don't need, like. It's that one upper mentality that we've talked about before. And in so doing, believing that we have anything to boast about. Can I, can I say it this way? It's either grace or not. There's no in between. 
And one of the things that we've tried to embrace as best as we can, as humbly as we can, as honest as we can, is as God has done what God has done in our body, I mean, praying that what the words that we say are actual and, and what we mean and not just saying. But we really believe here that every single thing that's happened in this body is grace. It's not to point to Brandon's efforts or Jared or Lonnie or Keith or Pastor Jeff or you name it, Penny. I mean, it doesn't matter. All of it is grace. 80 some lot family leaders here, all of it grace. Every child, every facet of our, like all of it is grace. It's either grace or not. Listen, it's either grace or we've earned it. It's either grace or our gifts are strong enough. And so I'm telling you, the Lord has done an amazing work in building his kingdom so that no man may boast. So that every man would say, there's no way this would have happened in and of myself. It's only because of you, oh God. And so then I ask the thing I've been wrestling with, and why do I get confused? It's because still something in my insecurity wants something. Still something in your flesh wants the notoriety. Still something in your flesh wants people to feel sorry for you. Instead, God, it's only by grace that I breathe. It's only by grace that I live. It's only by grace that I've been saved. I long to boast in you. Paul goes on, check this out. Oh my goodness, verse, listen. If you haven't seen one verse in 1 Corinthians, you ready to get your, just your face melted? Check this out. Verse 30. And because of him, you, <laughs> you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So if there, if there was one moment one second where you were like, no, God, but I did this. Paul just straight covers the basis. Just so we can see it in some different terminologies. I, I want you to see this uh, put together here. Next slide. Check this out. Look, a Christ, not Chris, okay? Next slide. Is it up there or not? Okay. All right. It's not. It's not. All right. Christ has become these things, okay? He's become wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Now, let's talk through these things. He's become wisdom from God. How? He has shown us, softened our heart to the truth of the scripture that makes no sense to the world. He's become wisdom. He embodied wisdom. Showing us not just speaking the truth, but living it. The next thing that Christ came uh, uh, from God for us is he became righteousness. Like fully pure, fully holy through Christ and Christ alone could we be seen in the eyes of God as righteous, as good, as set apart. And then he didn't just become righteous, uh, righteous either. He also became sanctification, this process of our growth. In other words, if there, if there was one facet of you that thought that you had something to give God or, or some ways that you had to offer God something, instead what Paul says is, no, 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 Christ has become everything. He's in all and for all and because of all. And the reason for that unbelievable gospel 
is in verse 31. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now I want to spend some time on this. 38 mentions of this word boast in the scripture, in the New Testament specifically. But it really is an interesting word. Uh, Some other translations interpret it differently. 23 of the 38 times that that word shows up in the New Testament, it means glory. Now, why would it make sense to end this passage, this thought, with let the one who, we, we could say, let the one who glory, glory in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Why would it end in this passage? Uh, now, we've said it before that God is about his own glory. Agree? God's about making his name, his name great. Agree? So why would this text end if you're going to glory, glory in the Lord? Because this passage now becomes the proof text of how God is bringing glory to himself. He is bringing glory to himself by building a kingdom that makes no kingdom sense in the eyes of the world. By taking the poor and the lonely and the confused and the hurting and the the estranged and the weak and the feeble and the unwise and on and on and on. And he saves them sanctifies them, empowers them, redeems them. And then for his glory, they become the proof of why it's possible for man never to boast in himself, but to boast only in the Lord. This becomes the proof text of God is about his glory. You really struggle with that, I know. That's why I added some text here that I hope will be helpful Next slide, Isaiah 43, a little Old Testament. I will say uh, to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Verse 7, hello, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for what? Whom I uh, created for my glory, whom I formed and made. He's talking about all the nations coming together and these people who are his people, God's people being made for his glory being set apart for his glory. That's why later what we'll see in 1 Corinthians, next slide, that's why this text is so powerful. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So where I've come to in this text, what I've had to wrestle with and why it's been so heavy for me is because I've had to wrestle with this question. Next slide. Am I boasting in the Lord or am I belittling him? So here, let me bring you into my heart, my process. I've had to ask the question of myself, how do I know that what I'm saying about the Lord is what I believe versus what I've learned to say? How do I know that all the statements that I make about the power of the gospel and what the Lord's done in my heart, how do I know that those are genuine? 
How do I know I haven't just been trained to say the right thing? Because if it's disingenuine, if it's robotic, not birthed from faith, but birthed from a Christian classroom, if I say God is gracious, but in my heart believe that I've earned it, if I say that God is merciful, yet really in my heart think, no, 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 I deserve everything that I've gotten. I've worked hard. I mean, come on, God. I've, I've done everything that you've ever asked, but in my rhetoric, I say the right things. I say God is gracious, God is good. It's only by grace through faith I've been saved, so no man may boast. And on and on and on. What I'm asking you, the same thing that I've asked myself, is how do I know that the words that I say are birthed out of faith and not just out of training? So here's what I'm wondering. Do you believe that you've become robotic in your boasting in the Lord? Here's the image that I have in my mind right now. Each of us individually, um, God like puts his story and what he's done in your life and just like reels it by your eyes. And every event and every time you, you should have died because of your sin and every like growth, like all of it, like your whole life, the work that he's done is flashing in front of your eyes. And I picture in that moment the, the weight, the immensity, the sheer power of the gospel recaptures your heart. Like it doesn't just create this, this little inkling of a stirring where all of a sudden what happens and what I believe Paul is trying to intend on his readers, Christ has become for you sanctification and redemption and all of these amazing things. He's become for you wisdom. Listen, let no man boast. Let, let us boast in the Lord. I believe he's trying to remind them of this this joy in salvation that maybe they've lost. Consider your calling, brothers. It's a very, very, very dangerous place to be. For your boasting in the Lord to be trained, to be good rhetoric, to be just niceties. And quite honestly, as I was sharing even just before tonight, I don't want one day of that in my life ever. I want to see that killed. Anyone else? I long to boast in the Lord. I want to tell everybody that it's because of grace. I want to be able to look at the low in the world's eyes and say, listen, listen, listen. Don't count yourself out. Let me tell you about a God who reaches down to the depths of the pit that you believe and feel like you're in. Let me tell you something. I used to be there. Let me tell you about my calling. I long for the message of the gospel, the real, genuine, faith-driven, grace-anointed gospel 
to not just be on my lips, to not just be things that I've taught people to say, but to just be out of the overflow of my heart. So the opposite is the ways that we belittle him. And I've had to wrestle with this, and I'm, I'm guessing you have to wrestle with this too. Is God for you and the kingdom of God and the power of God? Has he become this anecdote? Has he become for you a means to an end? Has he become for you like the salt or pepper on the table? Has he become for you, like I've described him before, like a mantelpiece? Oh, hey, let's go get us some God now. And we go over and the fire, you know, it's, a, it's nice, right? Like, whatever, like, you know, there, there's some nice music playing. We, we pull God off. All right, now's the time, God, that we need you. But listen, it's not going to be long, God. You go back to your rightful home. Go over there in your cage, God. When our boasting is disingenuine, when our boasting has forgotten the reality of the gospel, we are taking the kingdom of God, the king of the universe, and belittling him to just some mere means for us to feel better about ourselves. I don't want to live one day like that. He's either king of the universe or not. He's either coming back or he's not. He's either just a means for us to gather and have friends and relationships and feel better about our eternity or he really is worth boasting about because he's done something. What if, what if? What if the Lord, even in this moment right now, flashed all of those images in front of you and as you sit in that seat, you are brought back to the unbelievable work that God has done in saving, yes, even you. Then you don't have to muster up joy. Then you don't have to look happy for the other Christians. Then the world hears a consistent proclamation of one who's boasting in the Lord because they know what they've been brought from. Let's stand together. Man. There's so much boasting to do, isn't there? There's a world to tell co-workers to share with, classmates to finally understand and hear. And some in this room who have walked in here believing that there is no way that the kingdom of God could be for you. Is it possible, and I'm praying so hard for this right now, is it possible that for the first time in your life you would stop believing the lie 
and actually see from the scripture the truth. God is about his glory. And in saving you, you would yet be further evidence, further proof of how loving, gracious, merciful, and good God is. So the scripture says, call on his name. Scripture says, cry out with your heart. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, not just with rhetoric, but with belief that he is in fact king of the universe. God, we don't want to belittle you. We want to boast in you genuinely. So God, remind us of our calling. (laughs) Remind us of what you brought us from right now in this moment, God. Remind us of the work that you've done. Remind us, God, of, of the glory that you have brought to yourself in calling us kids. Pull us out right now in this moment. Help us confess right now in this moment. Help us lay at your feet right now in this moment all of our roboticness. Will you, God, stir in us because of your love the reality of our salvation? Help us, God, boast in you.